0: Yo, it's the South Side's own Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. There's a
1: blast. Deep into the night. And a two-run homer for Baez. And there it goes. Abreu massacres this ball to left center field. it
2: goes in motion left. Snap it to Michelle. He's running to the left. Angling. 25-20. Got a block for Rob. 50-10-5. Touchdown. Touchdown. Touchdown.
0: Trubisky's gonna run it, and he is going to get a first
1: down! How oh, about Trubisky to the 42-yard
0: line? Oh my goodness! In the ring, Steve has got him up. A slam, but Blair inside. Great one, two. He made it! He got it!
1: Steve Bush like Waffle! And Blair has done it! Blair has done it! Under the hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN
0: 1000 and the ESPN app.
1: from Chicago, this is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app with open phone lines for you at 312-332-ESPN 332-3776 is the telephone number Hit me up on Twitter, Twitter Twitter.com TweetJHood, on Instagram IGJHood, as we broadcast live from our first Midwest Bank Studios On the program tonight, we will hear from wide receiver NFL great Isaac Bruce for the summer of football because we celebrate the great game of football every night, 8 o'clock. Isaac Bruce will be our special guest. Look forward to talking to him. That guy should be in the Hall of Fame. I'll tell him why. He should be in the Hall of Fame coming up at 810 for summer of football. Also, Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. Also, Ryan Hollins. Ryan Hollins, once again, will be with us for appearance number 7 of 10 right here on ESPN 1000. The reason why is because Ryan Hollins, he lost a bet. It wasn't a bet that I made with him. He just made the comment. He said that, listen, here's what's going to happen. If the Toronto Raptors win the NBA championship, I, I... We'll come on 10 straight times. And guess what? He's coming on 10 straight times. This is uh, number 7 of 10. So we will hear from Ryan Hollins coming up at nine ten, And, of course, if it's Thursday. Let me check the calendar. Yes, it's Thursday. That means that it's a throw
2: throwback.
1: throwback Thursday. We got a good one, as we always do, right here on ESPN 1000. Throwback Thursday. It's always fun. It's always lighthearted. It makes you think a little bit. We got a good one for you coming up at nine thirty here on ESPN one thousand. And plenty of time for your thoughts as well. 312-332 ESPN. Hope that you enjoyed your Thursday. Hope that you enjoy your Thursday night. As we keep you company until ten o'clock, and then it's Dan Lobotard and Stu Godz right here on ESPN one thousand. Okay, how about a little baseball first here with the Cubs and the White Sox? The Cubs win. They defeat the Atlanta Braves by the score of nine to seven. And I'll talk about this game briefly, but there's bigger fish to fry when it comes to Cubs baseball. I'll tell you why in just a moment. So the Cubs win 9-7. to seven. It was a Tyler Chetwood start, so you know that the ball is going to be in the air a lot. Six runs surrendered. All earned four walks, five strikeouts, and somehow Tyler Chetwood got the win. He pitched five and... He wins the ball game, and Craig Kimbrell comes in and closes the game for the Cubs. He comes in, and I know that if he sticks with this ball club for a while, he's going to be a folk hero. I've been watching him for a while, but for Cub fans, this might be new how he's just bent over, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, a, like some kind of creature. He's bent over, and when he's at the stretch, and that is something that I'm sure a lot of people will be imitating and want to be a part of because Kimbrel is quite the character and he got the save for the Cubs as the Cubs beat the Braves by a score of 9-7. to seven. However, there's a little bit more fish to fry when it comes to this Cubs team. And that is that with the Cubs at 44-37, and 37, this marks the halfway mark of the season, the halfway point of the season for Cubs baseball. And... Some of the things I've talked about on the program is that when you look at this roster from top to bottom, I believe that the Cubs should be a lot better than 44 and 37. Now, the first half does not tell the entire story of Cubs baseball because there's another half to go. There could be a turnaround for Cubs baseball. But the thing that we, you and I have to talk about is how the team is underachieving. Len Casper, the broadcaster for the Chicago Cubs, has said it. He says the Cubs are a good team going through a rut. Feels like I say this every year, but it's kind of how it goes over six months. How good are they? We will know in a few months. The season story develops in front of our eyes. Final chapter months away from being written. I kind of like it that way. Some thoughts from Len Casper uh, as he was tweeting about the ball club yesterday. He also says that the Cubs need to clean up their base running. Major League Baseball, most 35 outs on bases this year. Bad stolen base percentage, middle of the pack and extra base percentage. Overly aggressive lately. And it's bitten them, especially in tight games like last night. So some strong comments by Lynn Casper, and rightfully so. It's that strong negative. It's kind of strong factual when it comes to this Cubs team. As we talk about the Cubs, with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We'll talk to about the White Sox in just a moment. But when it comes to, to this team, I don't know what Cubs Nation is thinking. I don't know if Cubs Nation believes that, well... The Cubs won the World Series a couple of years ago, so whatever you get now is gravy. I know that if I were a Cub fan, and as someone that's covering Chicago sports, obviously I'm rooting for this myself, you want to see consistency with this Cubs team. You're looking for interest. You're looking for interesting when it comes to this Cubs team. And 44-37 and looks kind of like it did last year. Yes, 95 wins is great, but what is the value of 95 wins if you don't get to the mountaintop? That's the whole thing with this. If you are a Cub fan, that's a slacker, that's watching this Cubs team and thinking we won the World Series a couple years ago and Joe's great and the sun's up and, you know what, we're going to make the playoffs, That's not. The, that's not where you're looking. What you're looking for is to have sustained success. That is one rung on the ladder. But also, shouldn't the Cubs, from a roster standpoint, be in a position that they can win the World Series again, or at least be to the World Series. One time and out is not good enough. Here's looking at you, Green Bay Packer fan. You know what I'm talking about. Here's looking at you, Chicago Bears fan. Just getting to the Super Bowl and winning it is not good enough. You think that while the window is open, and I've been saying this for a while, the window is open through 2021 at the very least because I tied the Cubs' success to what Theo Epstein and his contract is, in 2021, once it ends, is he staying? Is he going? Whatever it is, you want to be able to win multiple championships while Theo Epstein's in the chair. Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, Che Hayward, you go up and down that lineup, Almora, and it doesn't seem right that the Cubs are just kind of sleepwalking through the first half of the season. Seems like they should be a little bit better. You know who also feels that way? I think that Jesse Rogers, who covers the Cubs for ESPN and ESPN.com, feels that way as well. Jesse was on Cap and Company earlier. The question was posed to him, who's to blame for the Cubs' lackluster first half? If
0: I had to pick one, I'd pick the front office. Right, because here's the reason, Cap. Bryant Rizzo, Baez, and Contreras are basically doing their job. Come on, they all are over 15 home runs. They're, those four are basically doing their job. So if the Stars were not doing their job, I would blame them. But they're basically doing their job. It's the fill-in guys. It's the guys that replaced Lestella. You brought his name up uh, before. It's the guys that have replaced other guys that aren't doing the job. Where's that, that wa- those wave of young players? We don't see it. Alzelay is the one. Where's the, the, the development in Almora? I mean, they picked up cargo off the, the scrap heap. They're probably going to send him back there soon if things don't work out. I would put it on the front office, and then I would probably put it on Joe, to be honest. I, I, like I said, I don't think Joe has recognized what he has and how he has to push some buttons here. Uh, y- you can't afford to give away outs on the base pass. You're not that good enough to overcome those mistakes. Well, that's and not on give Joe. It... Well, yes, it, sure it is. It's absolutely on Joe.
1: So there's uh, a little give and take and back and forth between Jesse and David Kaplan earlier today. Can I just take you back? I know a fans don't mind me taking you back to the World Series championship team, right, in 2016. When you have Miguel Montero, tell us a little bit about him, running with Anthony Rizzo, Ben Zobrist, Addison Russell, Chris Bryant, Jorge Soler, Dexter Fowler, Jason Hayward. You look at the rest of that, Roster with Wilson Contreras, Javier, a young Javier Baez, David Ross, Tommy LaStella, Albert Almora, Chris Coghlan. Um, those are amongst, and of course, uh, Kyle Schwarber on that roster as well. Can I tell you something? The season for the Cubs was about Rizzo. It was about Bryant because of how strong that first to third combination was. It was about um, Dexter Fowler in center field. It was about looking at this roster with Addison Russell with 21 homers and 95 RBIs. That's what it was about. Yes, you had a young Javier Baez, had 115 hits that year. And yes, you did have Grandpa Ross. Who was 39 years of age and he was a factor for the Cubs in that locker room. And yes, a 27-year-old Tommy Lestel was on their that roster as well. But here the the bottom line is is that the Cubs it was about team. It wasn't about, well, where's the bench guys? Well, how come they don't Listen, yeah. You look at their reserves, it's not strong, but that's not the difference between being a winning team and not. Ultimately, it's about the guys you roll out there every day. And so I always have pushback on this because Jesse said the same thing to me about you know Tommy LaStella and some of these favorites off the bench. It's about Rizzo, it is about Bryant, it's about Schwarber, it's about Jason Hayward, it's about the core of the team. Yes, you like to have some stronger guys off the bench, but it's not the point that where, where David Bode is a bust. We you guys are making excuses for this team. It's underachieving, it's not good enough. And I, again, there's always a second half to turn things around. But the thing that, that, I, that still strikes me when I'm watching Cubs baseball is where, is where is the jolt? Where is the energy on this team that we saw in the past? Where is the kind of ball club that's supposed to be able to get the job done uh, just when you don't expect it? And, of course, a lot of that is magic, right? Magic. And I thought that the Cubs had a magical year. Things went right for the team, just when you don't expect it. So you're looking for that magic. Where's the magic on this team? This team looks like last year's team. And by the way, it's not the pitching there's not the pitching coach, it's not the hitting coach. It's the guys on the field that's not getting the job done. Can't fire you can't fire Chili Davis twice. How about that? Can't do that twice. Okay? I know last year it's all because of Chili Davis, you know, launch angle and swings and all that. You no. Know, it's not about that. Forty-four and thirty-seven. This Cubs team is. It's a good team, but it's not the team that gives you that feeling that yeah they'll be able to roll over the rest of the National League. Not through the first half of the season. Jesse talking about uh, Joe Madden. He has to realize he doesn't have the twenty sixteen team.
0: You mentioned the management. You mentioned the manager. It, it, there's enough blame to go around when you're playing like this. When you when you have a team like this, we can point fingers at everybody. I that, that that we don't tend to do that. We try to single one person out, but. I think it's in this instance it, we can do that. Yesterday, I was all over Joe. Caller before you was uh, before me was just all over management. Uh, you know, front office. You're mentioning the players. I think there's enough to go around when you look at this this group from a you know take a step back and look at them. I, I'm with you on this. Um, let's see what happens. Maybe they'll reverse their fortunes on the road. Weird stuff happens. I think I mentioned that before the the homestand began. Like. Okay, they're do I even said this. They're due for a 500 homestand, but they're also due for a winning trip. So, this is more than just a, a little slump. This has been over a month, but then again, they went 23 and seven over the course of a little bit more than a month. So, weird stuff happens. I hope they come out of it for everyone's sake. So you're feeling better about things, and every everybody that watches this team. But man, it is a little frustrating to see how this thing is going. And and I've been saying it all. They're just coming up short. Sure, they're just not deep enough. They're just. Uh, uh, it's, it's, like, it's like a game of whack-a-mole I mentioned with Darvish yesterday. Darvish's game is like a microcosm of the Cubs. When he, when he fixes something, something else pops up, right? Mm-hmm. You fixed your bullpen a little bit, your offense pops up. You fix your offense, the base running pops up. You know, it's like a little bit of everything with Darvish. It's a little bit of everything with this team right now. And um, Last thing, I think they have to realize what they have, starting with Joe, and, and, and understand, okay, maybe I can't rotate 11 position players. Maybe I should give Elmore that shot. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Not that they're five games under 500, but you are not as deep. You might have to roll out the best eight hitters you have and see what you can get for a few weeks. And, and uh, that's why I I mentioned Elmore because I know you've talked about it. So I, I think Joe has to realize.
1: Some thoughts there from Jesse Rogers talking to David Kaplan on Kaplan Company on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Um, So congratulations to Wilson Contreras and Javier Baez. They are National League All-Stars. That was announced a few hours ago. So Contreras and Baez going to the National League All-Star game. Um, Now let's talk about the White Sox because the White Sox, watching the White Sox, it's a different feeling this year than it was last year about this White Sox team, right? Sox are 37-41 off day today. They get ready to take on the Minnesota Twins, uh, starting at 7-10 over at guaranteed rate. So what I I find for this White Sox team is something incredible. It's the first time that I can recall that a ball club can win 37 games with one starting pitcher. And if you think that's a shot at Lopez or Nova or Benuelos, uh, it is. Okay, It is, because Lucas Giolito has done a complete 180 from what we saw last year. Giolito was walking small islands. He did not have control. His ERA is the best turnaround of an ERA uh, in Major League Baseball. And so Giolito has really been able to carry this team. I'm watching the, the Sox against the Red Sox, watching them against the Texas Rangers on the road. And what you're looking for is... Hope, and you're looking for signs, right? If you're a White Sox fan watching this team, if you are if you feel like you're a little bit more invested this year than you were the last couple of years, it's the reason why is because the White Sox were like 20 plus games under 500 this time last year. And, and I know at this point in time, it's not about the one loss record, but I got that feeling, that itching feeling, when I start seeing the White Sox around the wild card. <laughs> And because when you get to the wild card, you're just like, okay, so what do you want to do? What do you want to be? Do you want to be a team that's going to add some extra, you know, I don't know, pitching yeah, yeah. or a bat or two? Or do you want to pair back and try to, you know, get really look for 2020, 2021? I understand what the future is. Uh, I'm not crazy. I know what the future is. But when you start seeing Tim Anderson, Really come out and not just be a star for the White Sox, but just be someone that has become a cornerstone for the White Sox, not only in Chicago, but nationally because of the acclaim that he's gotten. He, he is a millennial young player that does not mind a bat flip, does not mind putting it in your face. I like that from Tim Anderson. Uh, I, I, like, I like seeing Laurie Garcia on the field because he's played all three outfield positions and some infield positions, if I'm not mistaken. I think that he'll pop the popcorn and sell the pop the programs for you as well if you ask him to. Garcia's all over the place, Eric. He's playing shortstop while Tim Anderson is out right now. Yeah. So
2: like someone that can play all three
1: positions and then also the most important position in the infield. It's pretty awesome. And also, along with Giolito being surprised, yes he can can, James McCann can. James McCann, uh, yeah, you talk about the turnarounds. You put this on the poll. At ESPN 1000, what is the bigger What is the bigger surprise, Giolito or, uh, or the catcher James McCann? Uh, they, I'm really surprised at the type of production that McCann's been putting up for the White Sox. I did not expect that at all. But the thing that you look at when you're watching the White Sox is you're saying, okay, you're trying to identify who the cornerstones are for the team, and you see... Anderson, and you see Moncada, and you see, um, as I mentioned, James McCann, and you see G. Alito, and you're you're obviously thinking about the minor league system, but you're also thinking about who are the cornerstones is going to be good once the the Sox are good. The Sox, I believe, the arrow is pointing sideways on its way up, but the thing is that still sticks to me is what is the future for the team like next year. What do we expect to see now? I'm watching series after series after series, just trying to find the development. Because last couple of years, you watch White Sox baseball just for your entertainment, um, and you know that there was nothing there. At least there's something there when I see Aaron Bummer, when I see Jace Fry, when I see like like when I see Alex Colome. Even though he blew the save yesterday against the Red Sox, that was his first blown save of the season, right? And, and so it makes you think like, okay, what if? In the biggest two words in entertainment, what if, what if the Sox got on a roll, right? What if the White Sox had turned up the fire a little bit? And then Kenny Williams says, oh, well, damn, we better do something. Let's sign Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> oh, looks like we're pretty good. Alex Rios, come on down. You know what? If we're going to be this close, damn it. Kevin Euclidus, I think that'll work. Yuke. By the way, if you go to a Sox fan a Sox game, you can still see Euclidus jerseys. They're still out there. It's <laughs> still out there. It's amazing. But I, I just uh, we talked to Jim Margulis last night from soxmachine.com and I asked him, you know, and it was frustrating because there was so many one or two-run ball games that the Sox lost against the Rangers on the road and the Red Sox. What did we learn from this road trip?
2: It's a lopsided roster right now. You mentioned the pitching. It's basically the Lucas Giolito, and then you have the other two full-time starters are the worst starters in the American League by ERA. And then you have two rotation spots that aren't really rotation spots. They're bullpen days. They're skipping it because of these off days. Maybe Hector Santiago comes back. Maybe Dylan Covey gets healthy in a hurry. But even then, those guys are really four-inning guys. And uh, maybe you'll see the White Sox finally go to an opener. But, yeah, the, the rotation is really lopsided right now. Tough. I'd call it top-heavy, but is Lucas Giolito uh, enough to make it top-heavy by himself? I don't know. Then uh, I think the lineup is you know, it has some bright points with Juan uh, Makata showing some improvement against left-handed pitching. Jose Breu coming up with a big hit. Eloy Jimenez has been uneven, as you might expect from a rookie, but just because of injuries, Tim Anderson spraining his ankle and with uh, the outfield being a bit thin, John Jay coming back helps. He, he gives a uh, professional effort that they haven't always had in the outfield, but just a really thin team right now, a beat-up bench. The bullpen is starting to uh, regress a little bit, and uh, here's hoping that either you know they get some improvement from Nova and Lopez or the bullpen comes back and they just hang on until the All-Star break.
1: Then there's Rick Reneria. Ah. You know, maybe it's just me that likes to fast forward to see what this looks like. Going it's like you know going to your DVR and you're just trying to fast forward. Maybe it's just me. I just believe that just like a number of these organizations, and Jim Margulis talks about this, we'll hear from him in just a minute. That a lot of these organizations, when you're ready to win, some of these organizations made change. And I thought that the series against the Red Sox for the White Sox was a microcosm of my, some of my frustration, not anger, but my frustration with Rick Renneria. Nice man. Good manager for A to B. But if the Sox are going to have sustained success and battle with Rocco Baldelli's Twins, if he's going to if he's going they're going to battle with the bunt and sacrifice of Kansas City, if they're going to try to uh, try to fight off Tito's Indians, man, you need better than this. I'm just saying, you just need better than this. You you have to upgrade. If you're going to upgrade with young players, you got to upgrade the, the team. Like, I know Don Cooper is going to die in the position. Like, I know that he's not leaving, right? I know Don's going to be there forever, being grumpy and really helping out young pitching. But, I mean, come on, man. So, you know. And Margo gave me a little pushback yesterday from Sox Machine about Renneria's
2: status. You know, to his credit, I think he's done a very good job of not letting this losing get to the clubhouse. Uh, you know, he's had a very good report with his players. He hasn't been a total pushover. And uh, you haven't heard of any flare-ups, anybody uh, you know, uh, talking behind his back. You don't hear of any discord in the clubhouse. So I think he's really good at that part. He's really good at keeping open communication lines and not throwing guys... Under the bus, uh, I think it does put him in corners where he has to defend awful players. Sometimes he you know, tries to coach teams to win himself by bunting too much or maybe switching too many pitchers. But I, I think he's in a tough spot just by the roster he's given, just by the um, amount of losing he's been asked to oversee. And that's why I guess I'm a little bit more sympathetic to Renteria. I do have my concerns. Just, you know, I, I think he's not the greatest when it comes to uh, prioritizing runs or having a, a big picture of, of what works when it comes to scoring runs and strategy to that regard. But I think when it comes to the talent kind of stuff, uh, with like Jose Rondon going to the wrong base, is that because Jose Rondon is not coached well or is it because Jose Rondon is a triple-A player, and he's here because the White Sox don't have anybody better. Now with Anderson spraying his ankle, we might see more of him. Uh, it's really hard to separate manager from talent sometimes, and that's where I sympathize. But uh, I do wish that the White Sox didn't extend Renteria. They used this as a tiebreaker year between his very encouraging rookie season and the, the the setbacks he had last year to really understand what kind of manager he is. But given that it's the White Sox and that they're super loyal, it's kind of I kind of guess take the mindset that, There's really no point in fighting it because he's going to be here no matter what.
1: The Chicago White Sox, how about that? So there you go. And the White Sox don't have any all-star starters until Giolito starts for the American League. Well, we don't know yet, but that would be nice. And maybe McCann can, James McCann can, maybe he can get voted in there. I'd love to see him behind Gary Sanchez, the Yankees catcher, as maybe as the backup catcher. We will see. Uh, by the way, just one note about the Cubs. I want you to hear this. The Cubs, 44-37 and 37 record, would be second in the National League East. It would be third in the National League West. It would be fourth in the American League East. It would be third in the American League Central. It would be third in the American League West only division they'd be first in is the National League Central at 44 and 37. Just to give you a little sample of the Cubs versus all the other top powerful teams in Major League Baseball, they'd be second, third, fourth, third, third in other divisions in Major League Baseball. Coming up next, LeBron James makes the NBA interesting. I'll tell you why coming up next on UTH.
0: I'm not- Top that box shop, talk
1: dude. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Glad you're with me here on this Thursday night. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Our next segment, we have one question. We do it every night at 7.50. Some people just don't have time to spend an entire segment with us, but they do have time for one question. We got that coming up at 7.50 here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. And don't forget top of the hour, summer of football as we give you what you want. Football information, conversation, NFL, college, fantasy. We got it all for you. Summer of football coming up at the top of the hour here on ESPN 1000. Good to have you in today. We have got a ton of stuff I did not get to the last three days, so that's why I have a whole bunch of paper in front of me. Um, LeBron James makes things interesting in the NBA out of all the conversation, the conjecture, the pettiness, everything that's going on in the NBA, LeBron James stayed above the fray this time. He was not in to the mix. Here's why. When Frank Vogel was... Hired as head coach. And by the way, I have everything that's going on with the Lakers. Vogel's hiring is like eighth, ninth. (laughs) Like everything that's going on. Like like Jason Kidd's assistant. Did you even know that? Just like everything that's going on with free agency. And like LeBron James stayed away from the fray. LeBron James quietly as a businessman. More powerful than Michael Jordan ever was. More powerful than Isaiah Thomas or even Magic Johnson ever was when they played in the league. LeBron James, in this era of player empowerment in the NBA, wanted Anthony Davis from the jump, did not make any bones about it, talked about how you want to play with the most talented players. He did not get fined for tampering, but he makes it interesting because Tom Brady can't say, I want to play with wide receiver X, or I want this defensive player on the Patriots. You know, Patrick Mahomes, <coughs> hello, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes. He can't say he wants to play, play with certain players offensively and defensively with his weird voice. And he's such a young man. But, but LeBron James came out and said, yeah, I want to play with the talented players. He makes it interesting because whether you are um, positive or negative, whether you don't like or like LeBron James, he is, the stir, he is the straw that stirs the drink for the Lakers and the NBA. LeBron James today made news again. Yes, he wanted Anthony Davis. He wanted the left side of the menu for Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis now at the Lakers. The story today, LeBron James is giving up his uniform number 23 to his new teammate, Anthony Davis. Davis has worn number 23, the Chicago zone. Anthony Davis has worn number 23 for seven years as a member of the New Orleans Pelicans. It's so LeBron's going back to number six. And you say, why is that significant? No, the point is, it's it's symbolic may not be significant, but it's symbolic. Like, I really want you to play. I want to play with talented players. I really want to play with Anthony Davis. I will give you my jersey. I mean, that's how much he wanted Anthony Davis. how much he thinks about Anthony Davis. And whether that is dumb to you or whether that's interesting to you, it's something. I, I, I think LeBron James gets it when it comes to entertainment. Whether you like this show or whether you dislike this show, you're listening or you're tweeting about it positive I got you either way <laughs> whether you listen to this show for 30 seconds or three hours I got you whether you whether you tweet about it how you don't like it or don't' LeBron James the same way he's not here's what LeBron James is not LeBron James is not Kevin Durant LeBron James sits atop the throne as the king whether it's self-proclaimed or not as the guy in the NBA and he wants to be able to win more championships. LeBron James is the embodiment of what we're seeing in the NBA today. In that, today's athletes care about legacy. They got generational wealth, they have more money than you and I will ever see. But what today's athlete wants is legacy. The guys that we grew up watching, especially if you're Gen Xer and you watched NBA players from the 80s and 90s. They stayed at an organization for a long, long time, believing that the GM was going to get them that championship. Yep, I believe in this GM because he pays me and and he's going to give me the players I need. Didn't happen for a lot of talent. A lot of players never got to the top of the mountain. But today's player empowerment with the NBA is like, if you're not going to get it for me, I'll go find it. I'll go chase it. LeBron James went to Los Angeles for a number of reasons. But LeBron James to this generation is Jordan. And I totally get it. For many that didn't see Jordan as prime, didn't see all of the, the hell that that Michael went through from the beginning with the Bulls to winning six championships in eight years. A lot of people didn't see that. But for LeBron James, he's the embodiment of it because look at free agency now in the NBA. It's the most interesting thing in the summer. More so the Major League Baseball more so than the soccer. The most important thing in the NBA most interesting, compelling thing in the summer is NBA free agency. Where is Kyrie going? Where is Jimmy Butler going? Where's Le- what's going on with the Celtics and the the Bulls and the the Pelicans and the Lakers and the Clippers? It's just it's amazing. But LeBron is the Pied piper of all of this. Because you know, I'm, I'm with Cleveland. I can't win a championship with Cleveland. I need to be with talented players. That's where you can see the dividing line. It started with LeBron. Started with him. I'm going to leave and go to win a championship because Cleveland is not giving me enough to win a championship. And he was raked over the coals for it by many on social media. Say, oh, how could you do that? He did it because he wanted to win a championship, and he got a couple championships, and he went back to Cleveland, won his championship, and now he's in Los Angeles trying to be the old head with a bunch of young players. We talk about the NBA with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I went through last night my predictions of the NBA free agents and who's going to go where. And again, can I tell you, I know I shouldn't be saying this for someone in my position, but you know what? You and I are the same. You don't know. And I don't know either. (laughs) It's so many names. I can give you guesses. And I can give you educated guesses. And I can read off my phone text messages from GMs and those are close to the team. But no one really knows. No one really knows. And that's why Sunday afternoon is going to be really interesting. And by the way, this weekend on ESPN 1000, I've got not one but two terrific shows. You know why? It's not even because of me. One of them is because I'll be working with Bobby Marks on Saturday. Saturday, starting at 3 o'clock Chicago time, we will have our NBA free agency special. Number two, you know, it kicks off. The free agency starts on Sunday. I'll be with J.D., Jeff Dickerson for Dickerson and Hood on that show. So we will have it all covered for you. You look for NBA free agency, just keep it here. You got it in the right spot, ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Some thoughts from Nick Friedel, who was on the jump talking about the best move for the Lakers in free agency.
0: If we're looking for the WoW move, there's one name on that list that jumps out to me
1: now that they've cleared this space. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Butler. Jimmy has always
0: wanted to play for the Lakers in Los Angeles. Yep. If he in his mind can go to a place where he he knows I'm not the man, but I can help try to win a title. Do
1: you think he'll do that though? Wanna do that? LeBron's gonna have to make that call. We talk about free agency and recruiting. If LeBron James wants Jimmy Butler and Philly is not comfortable offering him that fifth year and and all the max money, if
0: LeBron makes that call and says, Jimmy, I need you to win a title, you'll be in L.A., you'll get all the trappings of being a star in this place, I think that's the guy to call.
1: If Jimmy wants to follow along with LeBron James and Kyle Kuzma and Anthony Davis, he can do that. Or is Jimmy a guy that says I want the Max or close to the Supermax so that way I can be able to control my own destiny on my own team? That's why I say you don't know. <laughs> you never know. It would make sense for Jimmy to go there because he's got his nose. Well, he's very close to the Wahlbergs. <laughs> Let's just say that. He loves to be spending time with the Wahlbergs. And where are the Wahlbergs? They're either in Boston or they are in Los Angeles. Of course, the Wahlbergs can be anywhere, but the point is, is that Jimmy's good friends with them, right? But who knows? Philly sounds perfect. Go back to Philly, win a championship, right? Or try to win a championship. Or be with the Lakers and be part of a dynasty. Again, it started with LeBron James in this era. LeBron James keeps things interesting. LeBron James says, I'm leaving Cleveland to go to Miami to win a championship. And look at how the rest of the dominoes fall. LeBron did it. I'll do it. Kevin Durant says, LeBron did it. I'll do it. So many examples of this. Kyrie said, well, LeBron did it. I'll do it. And it's all across the board, but it starts with the king. starts with LeBron James. He's polarizing just like Tiger Woods is, is polarizing because it's a social media era. Social media should not control the narrative in sports, but it does for some. Not for me, but for some. That Twitter egg is powerful. That's a powerful shell on that Twitter egg. It's a powerful shell, but it's true. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Ah. Oh, and Kawhi Leonard, too. What about the NBA champion Toronto Raptors, right? So Kawhi Leonard has the choice of staying in Toronto or going someplace else. Masai Ujiri, the general manager... Says that he's confident that Kawhi will return.
3: I've had like very good meetings with him the last uh, like last few days, and for me they've been uh, they've been positive. Um, and um, he challenges me the same way that I challenge him, and I think um, uh, the goal is the same. Uh, and I appreciate that. For me, um, it's always been about Toronto. Uh, I love it here. Uh, my family loves it here. My wife loves it here, which is very important. Uh, my kids are Canadians. And um, you want to win more uh, for me. And, uh, yeah, I can continue to address teams wanting me or, or and all those things. You know, like, that's that's a blessing in, in, in life. And
1: I, I don't use it in... It's in not about the- you, though. You sure? It's not about you. My family, my... No, don't worry about that. Is... <laughs> Hey, Masai Ujiri, do me a favor. When I ask you what time it is, don't tell me how who made the watch, okay? The question is, are you or are you not going to have Kawhi Leonard in place? That's the question. He just won the NBA championship. Is he leaving
3: Toronto or not? For me, um, it's always been about Toronto. Uh, I love it here. Uh, my family loves it here. My wife loves oh, it okay. here. Okay,
1: never mind. I asked you twice, so never mind. All right, fine. Coming up, we will find out who can answer our one question. That is next on Under the Hood. I tried to show
0: you're listening to my man's in them, J. Hood, yeah, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. I tried to show in the ESPN app, yeah, Gone on you with the pick and roll, young flame here, sickle mode.
1: Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Glad that you're with me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We will have Summer of Football coming up at the top of the hour. The great Isaac Bruce will be with us. We'll get his thoughts about some of the storylines around the NFL. This man's got to be in the Hall of Fame. I'll tell him why coming up at the top of the hour here on ESPN 1000. You're a Hall of Famer, Isaac. Here's why. I think he already knows. <laughs> All right. You know, there's times where people just don't have time, like an Isaac Bruce, to spend time with us and have full, long-form interviews. But sometimes, sometimes, they have time for at least one question.
2: you guys lose this game, or did the Jazz win this one? Time for one question. What? With Jonathan Hood. Bro, what are you talking about, man? Number one. Number one. Just one question.
1: Oh, there's one more thing on ESPN 1000. This one thing that got me tripping. This one thing that got me tripping. This one thing It's this one thing It's time for one question right here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. Jonathan Hood with you. Eric went through his phone. I went through my phone. I said, "Who is available for one question?" We went up and down the address book on our iPhones, and we went to the M's, and we found Madison Ostrowski, Eric's wife, and and Madison is with us here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Hello, Madison.
2: Hello. How's it going? You
1: know how it's going. You know, we're working hard (laughs) over here. Yeah. Are you ready for one question, Madison?
2: I think I'm ready.
1: Okay. Are you sure? <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Madison Ostrowski, here's your one question. The one question is, what is the the oddest thing that you've seen Eric do? Oh, jeez. How long do I have to
2: answer this? As long um, as you want. The oddest thing. Thing. he does so many things that are odd yes oh my gosh i feel like i'm under pressure no the oddest you thing do, you that- guys
1: you guys are living with each other that's that's two questions you guys do <laughs> live with each other right we sure do okay what is the oddest thing that you've seen eric do mm. i love that beyonce song.
2: i know this is just such a hard question I don't know if it's necessarily odd, mm-hmm. but Mm-mm. I don't know. I I can't think of anything. Yeah. I can't think of anything. He's not really that odd. He just huh. does <laughs> dumb he's things not, he's sometimes. Not that, he's
1: not that odd. You don't know your husband at all, Jonathan Hood. <laughs> <laughs>
0: ESPN 1000.